And we want you to know as the church here in Shoto that you are our honored guests and we are very, very grateful for your attendance, your presence with us this morning. Would also like to encourage you, uh, all of us as, as we know, to take out a Bible and follow along with the words that are taught this morning, with the scriptures that are read. Uh, the man standing in front of you can make mistakes, but God doesn't, so take God's word for it. And with that in mind, I would ask that you all might turn this morning to Matthew chapter 9. The Gospel according to Matthew chapter 9. As you're turning there, I want to let you know that the title of this morning's sermon is Forgiveness Is. In this morning's lesson, I want to give you four very practical, very biblical, everyday truths. Truths that define and embody and enable what forgiveness is. The first one is forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness, not always, but oftentimes can be hard. And I would have us note in support of that statement, Matthew chapter 9. Please follow along. Matthew 9 and verse 1, speaking of Jesus, says, So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And at once, some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say? It's a good question. This is where this statement comes from. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he rose and departed to his house. Now it's interesting there. As we read, Jesus is in this scenario and he tells the, the, the young man, his sins are, tells the man, the paralytic, his sins are forgiven. And they say, he's blaspheming, that is, he's making himself equal to God. Who does he think he is? And Jesus said, which is easier? To say, be healed? Or to say, your sins are forgiven? And, and I want you to think about that. The answer is very clear. It's much easier for Jesus to say, get up and walk, than it is to say to this young man, your sins are forgiven, because think about it. If Jesus heals the man and just says, be healed, that's easy. Would the man have been healed if Jesus had said it? Yep, boom, done, over, got it. But it's much harder for Jesus to say to him, your sins are forgiven because of what Jesus is going to have to go through on the cross in order to secure that forgiveness for the man. That was going to be a lot tougher, a lot harder to do what was necessary for this man to be forgiven. You see, there's a parallel with us. Just as Jesus, Jesus is defined as the Word who became flesh in John 1. Just as the Word became flesh, 
would have to allow his fleshly body to be put to death in order to forgive us, we in turn must put to death our earthly or fleshly nature in order for us to forgive others as well. This is what often makes it so hard or so difficult for us to forgive people. You see, in our fleshly nature, when we talk about our fleshly nature, our earthly nature, we're talking about those human traits that we have. And, and see, often in our fleshly nature or our human nature, we get hurt. Somebody says something, does something, we get hurt. We get angry. We get upset. We get frustrated. We get resentful. Or maybe we feel as though we've been unfairly treated. This was the problem with the prodigal son's older brother. Remember the story of the prodigal son? This was exactly the problem with his older brother. Envy, anger, pride, resentment. He was all caught up in his, his earthly nature. I did this and I did it. Oh, turn to the text. It's Luke 15, starting at verse 28. Luke 15, we know the story of the prodigal son. He, he gets his share of the inheritance. He goes out and he, he wastes it all. And, and his older brother stays home and serves his dad. And then one day, the prodigal son decides that he's gotten way out there in the swine fields and his life is a mess. And he's, he's not in the house of his father and he's messed everything up. He says, I'll go home. And, and he goes home and his dad's waiting for him. His dad rejoices and says, get the ring and let's put the best sandals and let's have a party. The son of mine's come home. And the father's just ecstatic that his boys come back from, from messing up his life. But look what, his, what the older brother, the other son, the older brother of the prodigal says, starting in Luke 15, beginning in verse 28. He was angry. The older son was angry. And he wouldn't go into that, that celebration. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. But the older boy answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. Notice this. These means I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might, might marry with my friends. See, it was all about him. He had this pride, and, and so he had this anger, and he had this, this resentment, and, and he had this frustration. And then look what he says. He won't even admit that his brother is his brother. Look at verse 30. But as soon as this son of yours came, he won't even call his brother his brother. He denies that he's his brother. He's so upset. As soon as the son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. See, it's things such as our human, earthly nature. We get angry, we get frustrated, get upset, resentful, prideful, whatever. It's those things that make forgiveness so difficult for us to give. In our own human pride and, and, and kind of putting ourselves maybe first or our own hurt feelings or our egos first, we just, we just can't forgive. Hard. At the very least, it's hard. Until and unless, here's the kicker, until and unless we put that earthly nature to death, then we can't. That's exactly what the Bible says. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Church of Christ in first century Colossae. Turn to me to Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. You'll see this very truth revealed in the scripture. No, we, we get hurt, we get angry, we get frustrated, and we can't forgive just like the older brother, but 
If we could put to death our anger and our resentment and all of those human earthly things, our, our earthly nature, the same way Jesus let his earthly body be put to death so that forgiveness could be there, we need to put our earthly nature to death so that forgiveness can be there. Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. Um, let's begin in verse 6, actually. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off, you're to put to death, some versions say, you're to put off, put away from you, kill all of these things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Look at verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on. See, see he told them in verse 8 and verse 9 what to put off, what to get rid of, to put that old earthly nature to death, so that they then, once they've done that, therefore, verse 12, they could put something else on. What could they put on? Tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. You see, We've got to put that earthly nature, that corrupt humanity that says, I come first no matter what. We've got to put that to death. And then forgiveness becomes easier. But there's no room for both at full strength. Secondly, forgiveness is a process. Forgiveness, number two, is a process. It takes some time. It takes some work. It takes some effort. It takes some sacrifice. That account we just read in Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, about the paralytic being healed and being forgiven. Mark and Luke, in their accounts, in Mark 2, 3 through 5, and Luke 5, 18 through 20, give us a few more details about this paralytic. They tell us, Mark and Luke do, Matthew didn't, but Mark and Luke tell us that, that this was the young man that was carried by four of his friends on his bed on his mat, and he's carried to this house where Jesus is, and Jesus is in there teaching and preaching, and when the four men get there, it's so busy, it's so crowded, they can't get the guy in his bed in there because just people everywhere listening to Jesus, so they got a plan. <laughs> you want to talk about a process? Let me tell you about a process, right? These four guys, ta-da! Remember the old car commercials with the light bulb that would come on, you know? I think it was Ford, whatever, right? Ta-da! We got a better idea, right? Let's climb up on the roof, tear the roof off the house, and let him down in front of Jesus. You want to talk about some effort? These guys did not come with a ladder truck. These guys did not come prepared to do that. And yet, somehow, four of them got up on the roof, dug the hole through the roof, through the thatch, they got this guy up there. How many of you have ever brought materials up on top of the roof of a house without a ladder? And I don't want to hear about you guys with the lift trucks. Right? My point is, this was tough. It was a process to get him up there, where he was then forgiven. That man's forgiveness definitely involved a process. It took some work and time and effort and sacrifice. 
to get him forgiven. And just as we talked about, it would also take a lot of time, work, effort, and sacrifice from the Savior, Jesus, to get us forgiven, right? Going to the cross. Forgiveness requires a process. And it works the same way. It's still a process when it comes to us forgiving others. You see, in the heat of the moment, maybe even when we get angry or we get upset or we feel we've been unfairly treated, Maybe like in the Bible when can't seem to get somebody else to follow or support or, or join in what we're trying to accomplish for the Lord, we can be somewhat unforgiving. That was the case with the Apostle Paul. Turn to me in your Bible to Acts 15. Acts 15. As you know, in Acts chapter 15, Apostle Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to go on another trip together, co-workers of the kingdom, and Barnabas wants to take his cousin, John Mark, with him. And as we look in this text in Acts 15, beginning at verse 36, it says, Then after some days Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas was determined, the new King James says. He was determined. Determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take him with them, the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. The contention became so sharp. These two brothers were at it. And the contention became so sharp that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed. Their contention was so sharp, they couldn't work together anymore. And so they went different ways. They'd worked together on that first missionary journey, and now they couldn't work together anymore. They're so upset at each other. Do you know what happened? After some time passed, after some draining off of the obvious emotions involved, and after the Apostle Paul had himself apparently grown a little bit, you know what happened? He came to the point where he had not only forgiven John Mark, but he had reunited with him to work together in the kingdom once again. And in fact, said John Mark was a great comfort to him, but it took a few years. Forgiveness is a process. We see this in Colossians chapter 4. We see in Colossians chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, if you want to turn over there, where the Apostle Paul, writing to the faithful members of the first century Church of Christ in Colossae, commended John Mark, the very one he'd had that big struggle with, but apparently he had, over some time and a process, he had forgiven him, and he took great comfort in him. Look at Colossians 4, 10, and 11. He says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort for me. That little company, including Mark, Paul had not only forgiven, but they were back together working, and Paul said, he's a comfort. But it took some time. It was a process. And sometimes it takes that. Pro forgiveness sometimes takes a lot of time and work and effort, and it's a process, even for the great apostle Paul. Number three, forgiveness is essential to those who want to go to heaven. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one because 
I just did in a recent lesson. But I will give you a few scripture references that prove the point, but we won't turn to them. We know, number one, that having our own sins forgiven is essential to going to heaven. We cannot be in heaven with a holy God with our sins. We've got to get rid of our sins. Our sins have to be done away with. We cannot be in heaven with God until our sins have been forgiven. We know that. Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 41 and other texts. But here's what we often fail to realize. Here's what we often fail to emphasize. Here's what we often fail to internalize, and that is this. It is every inch and iota just as essential to make sure that we forgive others as it is that we ourselves are forgiven. Does that make sense? It is, it is imperative that if we're going to heaven, our sins get forgiven. Acts 2, verse 38. We have to have our sins forgiven by the blood of Christ. Because we can't be in the presence of holy God. But it's just as important not only that we get forgiven if we want to go to heaven, but that we forgive others if we want to go to heaven. We see this in several texts. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, Jesus said, If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. Is that pretty simple? Jesus pretty straight up about that. Pretty clear, isn't it? It's not the only place. Jesus told us in Matthew 18, 21 through 35, that if we do not forgive from the heart, that we will be delivered over to eternal torture. Very clear, especially verse 35 of Matthew 18, if you're taking notes. For those of you that are listening to this for the first time, go back and, and look at these texts if you didn't write them down. That led the Apostle Paul, that is Jesus' clarity in making sure we understand that our forgiveness of others is just as important to us getting to heaven as God's forgiveness of us. That led the Apostle Paul to write in Colossians 3, 12 and 13, therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, just as we read, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you must also do. Even as Christ forgave you, you must also do. What's the point? Just important for me to forgive others as it is for God to forgive me because without that forgiveness, without that essential forgiveness, I don't get to go to heaven. And then fourthly, and the one I really want to get to this morning, the one I really want to discuss at length this morning, our fourth and final one, is forgiveness is all of these things, the three that we talked about, taken to the next level when it comes to the most difficult form of forgiveness of all, forgiving ourselves. Can I tell you how many Christians over the years that I've talked to, different places in the country, different congregations? Easy to forgive somebody who sinned against you, but boy, Forgiving yourself, that's the toughest one for so many. Forgiveness is all of these things taken to the next level when it comes to the most difficult form of forgiveness of all, forgiving ourselves. For example, what was the first thing we discussed? 
Forgiveness is hard. That was the first one, right? Forgiving others is sometimes hard, but I'll tell you what, forgiving ourselves is often harder than it is forgiving others. Why? I'll tell you why. The answer is not real difficult. Because we know ourselves. We know that we should have known better. We know that we should have done better. We know everything we've done. We know that we have let the Lord and others down, and so we feel like a failure. We are our own biggest disappointment. That's why forgiving ourselves is often a lot harder than forgiving others. Because we can often look at others. When, when somebody makes a mistake, when somebody says something they shouldn't, does something they shouldn't, and they, they hurt us, or they make us angry, they make us frustrated, or whatever, we can often, you know, even though it's a process maybe sometimes, and maybe it takes a little time, we can often look at them with the love and the mercy and the compassion of Christ, and, and we can offer them forgiveness when they sin and fall short. We, we can, even though it's sometimes hard, we can do that. But we in our human pride and prejudice and the way we each know ourselves, your preacher included, often find it far more difficult to do the same thing and extend the same love and mercy and compassion of Christ when it comes to our own sins and shortcomings. And so when we sin and fall short of the glory of God, we find it a lot harder to forgive ourselves typically than we do others. And it is then, and brethren, I want you to get this, it is then that we must do the same exact thing, the same exact thing regarding forgiving ourselves as we have to with forgiving others. Remember what the first one was? We have got to put off that old man of sin, that fleshly nature, that earthly nature. We have got to get rid of our pride. We've got to get rid of our human reasonings and our human feelings of inadequacies and understand that God understands that we too are human. I'm not talking about abusing God's grace, Romans 6 and verse 1. I'm not talking about should we sin that grace may be. That's not what I'm talking about. What I am talking about is that sometimes when it comes to our own failures, none of us want to let the Lord down. I understand that. But sometimes when it comes to our own failures, we get so locked in to that that we forget that God understands I'm just as human as that person I could forgive. I make the same mistakes. I tend to mess up. God understands that we too are only human. We're just dust like everybody else. Psalm 103, 8 through 14. We are the reason God sent his son. I am the reason God sent his son. Secondly, as I said earlier, forgiveness is a process that takes a lot of time and effort. That's true when it comes to forgiving others. It's even more deeper intense sometimes when it comes to forgiving ourselves. Brethren, it's a process that don't happen overnight. It takes a lot of work and effort and sacrifice. Listen, Saul of Tarsus, who later became the Apostle Paul, before he was converted, he arrested, punished, persecuted, imprisoned, and put to death many a faithful Christian. Y'all remember that? That's what he did. He put him to death. He persecuted him. He tells you that in Acts 26, 9 through 11. Forced him to blaspheme and raged at them. You want to talk about having a 
sin list on your hands? How about the blood of a bunch of Christians? He did. He did. And so on the road to Damascus, as we read about in Acts chapter 9, great light appears and, and the Lord tells him to go into Damascus and he'll be told all that he has to do. And we know from Acts 9 and verse 9 that Saul of Tarsus was there three days without food or water praying. What do you suppose he's praying about? Lord, help my team to win the Super Bowl? No. What do you think he's praying about? You think he was down on his knees because he was so sorry for all of those Christians he had persecuted and all of them that he had, the men and women that he had dragged out of their houses, as it tells us in Acts chapter 8. He's got all of that on his conscience and he's praying. He's praying. But you know, despite those prayers, it would be a number of years before we would see the Apostle Paul. It would be a process. It would be a number of years before we see the Apostle Paul get to the point where he would say with complete confidence and assurance the words that he did according to Acts 20 and verse 26 when he said, Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. That's quite a statement when you stop and think about his history, isn't it? Isn't it quite a statement? Why? How did he get to the point where he could forgive himself in that way, where he could come to the point where he could say, I realize I'm innocent of the blood, even though I've killed people? Well, it was, it was a number of years after his Damascus conversion. It took him a while. It was a process before he could forgive himself and come to that point, but he did. Remember the third element I told you about forgiveness? When it comes to forgiving others, that is, that is taken to the next level as well when it comes to forgiving ourselves. I said that forgiveness is essential when it comes to forgiving others if we want to go to heaven. But did you know that forgiving ourselves is just as essential if we want to go to heaven? Did you know that? Think about this. Think about this. A person who is burdened, overwhelmed, consumed with their own guilt, their own shame, can never shine forth the true light of God as they should. That's step one. Let me show you that in Psalm 51. Let me show you from the Bible. Psalm 51. A person who is carrying around all of that weight, all of that guilt, cannot be the light for the Lord and do those good things and shine the light of God to those around them as fully as they'd ought to be able to. In Psalm 51, we have David's writing after he, after he slept with Bathsheba, another man's wife, he committed adultery and, and went through that whole story. And, and I want you to see what he said. He said, Psalm 51:1, have mercy on me, O God according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, which is just a fancy word for sins, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. God, I need you to forgive me. Verses seven through nine. He says, purge me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me, God, and I'll be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Did you see it? 
As long as he's carrying his sin, as long as he's carrying his transgressions, as long as he's, he's, he's guilty and he hasn't been pronounced innocent, and as long as he's in need of God's forgiveness, he said, I don't have any joy. My joy is gone. Make me hear joy and gladness. How is God going to make him hear joy and gladness? By forgiving him. But until he got that forgiveness, he just did not have that joy anymore. And then look what he says in the same idea with the next four verses. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me, here we go, the joy of your salvation. David had lost his joy. David couldn't have all that joy because he had so much guilt. He wasn't forgiven by God and he was carrying it around. And he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I'll teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. David said, if I could just, if I could just feel that joy again, God, if I could just know that I have your forgiveness again, then I'd go teach people and I'd tell them what an awesome God you are. But, but I'm so burdened right now, I can't do it. I can't do it. And you see, if we can't go and shine the light for God, if we're, if we're in a position where we can't go and shine the light and do good works, then we're not going to hear him say on that day, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your father. We're not going to hear that. Because in order to hear, enter into the kingdom, We've got to be a people zealous for good works. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. If we're not trying to do good and right things for God, then we're not going to get into heaven. And we can't go do the good and right things for God and tell how awesome God is and how much joy he's given us and forgiven us if we're still carrying that all around. That was David's problem. He said, you free me from this, you forgive me from this, and, and then God, I'll, just, I'll, I'll go out there and I'll tell everybody what an awesome God you are. Did you notice something from verse 3 of Psalm 51? Back at the beginning, when he began to cry out to God for forgiveness in this psalm, David also admitted something very, very important. He admitted that the sin he was seeking forgiveness for was always before him. David carried it around. It was in front of him. It was behind him. It was all around him. He knew it. It was always before him. He didn't just forget it. He didn't, he didn't have this, this amnesia from his sin, like, well, I've forgotten that. I didn't know I did that. He carried it around. He said, it, it's always right there in front of me, God. This, and that's why he didn't have that joy. That's why he couldn't tell people about God. That's why he couldn't teach transgressors their ways. Is that it was always sitting right there in front of him, and he's begging God to take it out of the way. And you know, I'm sure his sin was always before him. Think about it. Think about what he had done. He had premeditatedly plotted and schemed and planned out and carried out the brutal murder of an innocent man. That's what he had done, and he knew it. He knew it. He was guilty of sin, guilty of sin. He knew it. Not only had he done this to a good and righteous man, but the whole reason he'd done it is because he slept with his wife and she'd gotten pregnant. David knew his guilt. He knew what he had done. And, he, and, and it's right there, and he's crying out to God, please, please get this. It's, it's always before me. Get rid of this, please, God. So my question for you this morning is, what do you do with that? If you're David, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? You're crying out to God for forgiveness because you're carrying this around. What do you do with that? 
What do you do with God's forgiveness once you've got it? That's, that's a better way to say it. What do you do with God's forgiveness when God responds and says, I forgive you? What do you do with that? That's the key. That's, that's a point I really want to get home this morning. What do you do with it once you've got God's forgiveness? Listen, 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 listen. When God forgave David, was David fully forgiven? Yes or no? When God forgave David, was David fully forgiven? Yes. Are you sure? Was he totally and completely forgiven when God forgave him? Yes or no? Uh-huh. God don't do things halfway. Okay. So when God forgave him and his sin was totally forgiven, did anybody else have the right to hold his sin against him? Did they? I'm looking at a bunch of eyes, but I ain't seeing any head motion. No, of course they didn't. When God has forgiven and put it beneath the blood, nobody had the right to hold that against David anymore. Question, did that include David? Think about this. This, this is the rubber meets the road of the whole sermon this morning. Think about this. When God got rid of it, put it beneath the blood, obliterated it, moved it as far as the east is from the west, Psalm 103, 8 through 12. When God did that to David's sin, did anybody have the right to hold it against him, including himself, did he? Absolutely not. You know why? And this is the thing we've got to understand. When God forgives sin, whether it's yours, mine, or anybody else's. And then you, or I, or anybody else, holds it against that person after God has forgiven it. You know what that does? That sets the person up over God. That makes the person who holds that sin against David after God has totally forgiven it, even if it's David himself, that makes that person outlaw God. Has God pronounced him not guilty? Has he? Yeah. Has God, does God pronounce David not guilty? Yes. So to say, well, David, if David says to himself, well, I'm still going to hold my sin against myself, what's he done? In our court system today, if you go to a circuit court of appeals or you go to a, a certain court and you don't like the verdict you get, what do you do? You appeal to a higher court, right? And it works its way up through the court system, eventually to the Supreme Court. Now, once it gets to the Supreme Court, that's it, right? End of discussion. Is God the supreme authority or not? If God is the supreme authority and God says, you are not guilty, by my grace, I have forgiven that sin, then to hold that sin against yourself, once God has forgiven it, means that you are outlawing his authority and putting yourself above him because God's let it go. Are you with me on this? Isn't God awesome? Aren't you grateful as you sit here this morning, if you're under the blood of Christ, that your sins are gone and that's it? But you don't have the right to hold it against yourself if God has forgiven it. And, and we, we don't understand that. Sometimes you see, it was God whom David understood he had ultimately sinned against. Look at verse 4. He says, against you and you only have I sinned. God, uh, it's, it's you that I have ultimately sinned against. And it was therefore God who had the full and ultimate final authority to say whether or not he was guilty. 
Once God forgave him, David had, two, David had two choices. You and I have two choices. Once God has forgiven us, David had, and we have two choices. Here they are. We can believe and learn to accept, even if it's a process, and be eternally grateful to God for his forgiveness, and that our sin is nowhere to be seen or held against us ever again, joyfully serving God for the rest of our lives because we are so grateful for what he's done. That's response number one. Or, response number two, we can continue to hold our own sins over ourselves and against ourselves, for which God has fully pardoned us, acquitted us, forgiven us, and pronounced us not guilty of, and thereby make ourselves imprisoned and paralyzed from serving God all the rest of the days of our lives. If we do that, our soul in the end will be eternally lost, according to Matthew 25, 14 through 46. I want to share with you a quick story. Heard it many years ago from a missionary who came to the congregation we were converted in. I've told you before, but I'm going to tell you quick because it's, it's got to be told. Guy's out driving in a pickup truck, comes across a hitchhiker. Hitchhiker's got one of these big military type bags on, big, heavy, and I mean, the, the guy's like, you know, like this. He's got all this weight on his back, and so the guy with the pickup truck pulls over and says, hey, buddy, you need a ride? Man, yeah, I need a ride. Guy says, well, come on in, sit down. Guy says, no, he says, I'll get up and back. Okay. The guy climbs up over the tailgate, gets the back of the truck, he's got this big heavyweight on, and he, and he gets down on one knee, and he's, he's grabbed on the side of the truck, and he's driving down the road. They go like this for about three miles. The guy driving can't believe it. Finally pulls the truck over and gets out and says, what are you doing? He says, why don't you put that sack down and get in and rest? Why don't you put that sack down? The guy said, nope. i got to carry this all the time. When God forgives us, when we truly repent and, and come to him, and we give our lives to him, and God says, you are not guilty, and God forgives our sins, there are some Christians who still don't understand. They don't have to carry it anymore. Isn't it good to know we don't have to carry it anymore? Ain't that awesome? Isn't God awesome? I don't have to carry it. Why don't I have to carry it? Because Jesus took it when he got, died on the cross for me. All of my sin was on him. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Brethren, the secret to starting the difficult process of fully forgiving ourselves or somebody else, let me say that again slower, and then we'll wrap this up. The secret to starting the sometimes difficult or hard process, and it is one, of fully forgiving ourselves or anybody else begins only when we finally receive and experience the full forgiveness of God, only when we receive the full forgiveness from God can we understand how it works so that we can then go on and forgive others and ourselves. That's why the scripture says, forgive one another just as God in Christ forgave you. We learn what forgiveness is by when God offers it to us. Scripture says that, by the way, in Ephesians 4 and verse 32. The Apostle Paul, I got one more text for you, two more texts. The Apostle Paul and former Christian killer Saul could only say he was innocent of the blood of all men. 
after he fully internalized what God had forgiven him of. And Paul was not going to dredge up and join together that sin which God had put asunder under the blood of Christ. Paul wasn't going to do it. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, if you turn there with me, 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul was not going to dredge up and join together that which God had put asunder, that is, his sin from his record. 1 Timothy chapter 1, I want to show you what a life of a man looked like who was truly understanding and had gone through that process and understood what it meant for God to forgive him. And he stopped carrying the weight around. This is the man who, who had Christians arrested and all of those things we talked about. Look what he says in 1 Timothy 1, beginning at verse 12. This is so precious. Oh, this is precious. 1 Timothy 1, verse 12. Paul, in his later life, after he's come to understand these things we've talked about this morning, obviously had forgiven himself, he says, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. Again, Acts 26, 9 through 11, he tells how enraged he was with Christians and all of that. He says, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. He understood what it meant to have that. And he said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He said, I'm the worst of sinners. And yet, you know what? He did it. Paul lived a life grateful. He didn't run around and say, you know what? I've just killed too many people. I've done too much wrong. I've done too much. No. It took him a while. It was a process. And he worked at it. But Paul knew he was forgiven. So Paul forgave himself and said, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Now, according to Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, all of Saul's sins were washed away. All of the forgiveness was given. You can look it up in your own Bible, hope you do. Acts 22, verse 16. When he called on the name of the Lord, specifically by being baptized to have his sins washed away. That's when it happened. You can read the verse for yourself. Acts 22, 16. I won't repeat it again. That's the third time I brought it up. He was told to arise and be baptized and wash away his sins, calling on the name of the Lord. When he did that, let me ask you a question. If God says, I'll forgive your sins if you do X, Y, Z, if you do X, Y, Z, does God forgive your sins? Yeah, God's faithful. That's right. And so the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, former Christian killer, has all of his sins forgiven. The same way they did in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 41. When he believed that Jesus was Lord, when he was willing to confess Jesus as Lord, when he was willing to be baptized to have his sins forgiven and washed away, just as they did in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 41. You see, that's where we receive God's forgiveness that enables us to eventually, though it's sometimes hard and sometimes a process, but it is still essential, that is what allows us to eventually forgive others the way we'd ought to as well as ourselves. But that's where it starts. So the question for you this morning as we close is, are, it's plural, where are you at? Where are you at this morning? Are you a Christian? Or maybe not, but somebody who's struggling to truly forgive yourself for something. You're never going to be able to do that fully the way that you should until you receive God's forgiveness first.
David was looking for God's forgiveness so that his sin wasn't always before him. Letting God, by his grace and his son's blood, blot out your sin forever so you don't have to carry it around anymore. That process begins when you decide to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, as we've discussed. But maybe you're a Christian who's already done that. You've been baptized. You understand you're forgiven. But you've hit a speed bump. So, somewhere along the line, somewhere along the line, you've started to struggle completing your journey. You've done something and you haven't fully forgiven yourself for it and, and you need the prayers of the church to better understand these things we've talked about this morning so that so you don't have to carry that burden anymore. We'd love to pray for you, right church? Or maybe you're a visitor here this morning and you've heard some things that have caused you to have some questions. Maybe you'd like a Bible study. We'd love to set up a Bible study with you. Do not do anything unless you understand what the Bible says about it, but we'd love to set up a Bible study so that you can learn. See if these things are true, check them out. No matter what you need, baptism, prayers of the church, to set up a Bible study, if there's anything that we can do, we ask that you come right now to the front as we stand and encourage you with this song.